If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the little letter known as 3 John once more. 3 John is the shortest book in the New Testament, if you can really call it a book. It's really no more than a postcard made up of only 219 words in the Greek New Testament. But the message of this little letter is so very important because in these verses, the Apostle John emphasizes the balance of both truth and love in the Christian life. And perhaps no other book in the New Testament paints a more vivid picture of life in the first century church than 3 John. Because in this letter, the Apostle John is dealing with this very real issue of hospitality and how we show love and we minister to those and support those who are doing gospel work. And really, there's, there's some of the same themes in 2 John are reemphasized in 3 John, but there's a difference. Whereas the emphasis in 2 John, John writes to the elect lady and her children, and there's a warning in 2 John about how discernment really should be carefully practiced in who you show hospitality to, where John warns the church against opening up you know, their homes to those false teachers. He says, don't do that so that you'll not be complicit in their, their wickedness. Well, in 3 John, now he gives a very positive example of, of how we as believers are to show hospitality, especially to those who were laboring uh, for the sake of the gospel. And so 3 John is sort of a mirror image of 2 John in that it's opposite in the sense that here John is writing to an individual named Gaius, uh, and he is really commending Gaius for the fact that he has welcomed these gospel preachers and teachers into his home. And so you might could say that these two letters show us the balance of love, both sides of love, where in 2 John there's a firmness of love that it doesn't open its door to everything and every thought, but practices discernment. Well, here in 3 John, there is tenderness of love that's being emphasized, and that those who are in Jesus Christ, they're united uh, in fellowship by the gospel, and they ought to be shown hospitality and supported by the people of God. And so 3 John really is the most personal of all of John's letters because he mentions at least three men specifically by name. And he's doing the very thing that he asks Gaius to do down in verse 15, where he says, greet the friends each by name. And so 3 John serves as a reminder of the value of friendship, the value of hospitality, and how the gospel puts us in close relationship uh, with one another. And so let's read 3 John, beginning in verse number 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth... Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you were walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a fateful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are who testified to your love before the church. And you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, 
for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So here he's saying to Gaius, it's a noble thing, it's a worthy thing, it's an admirable thing that you've done in welcoming these, these missionaries that, 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 that the Apostle John had sent out. Gaius opens up his home, he opens up his heart, he opens up his resources and ministers selflessly to them in Jesus' name. And so verse 8, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now that's Gaius. Well, there's another individual who's mentioned here beginning in verse number 9 where John says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. So you see Diotrephes, who's seen in contrast with, with, with Gaius. And if Gaius was a model of hospitality and sacrificial service, well, Diotrephes is a man who's sort of enamored with his own sense of self-importance. And he exalts himself. And he doesn't welcome these brethren who had come from John. And even stops those in the church who wants to support these, these missionaries. And so verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And notice there's a third man mentioned in verse 12, Demetrius. He's received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. And so I want to continue preaching along that subject this morning, greeting our friends by name. Friendship is one of the most important aspects of life, and yet it's still one of those things that we tend to take for granted. And Jesus had a lot to say about the way that we love and support one another in the family of faith. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. And greater love hath no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. You know, the greatest joys in life all involve friends, don't they? I think about the greatest memories in my life uh, and how they've all been shared with the people that God has placed in my life. And I don't think that I could ever remember a time of joy and celebration that has not somehow involved someone else. Let's just imagine even you were out by yourself, uh, maybe you were hiking and maybe you see a majestic sunset over the horizon as it sort of splashes the mountains with its shade of orange and purple and you take out your phone and you take a picture of that and there's something inside where you feel compelled to want to share that with someone else, to show someone else. Uh, I think about Christmas memories that I have. Uh, video clips of, of our children as they've been growing up, all opening their Christmas presents on, on Christmas morning. Or pictures that I have, faded pictures from a road trip that me and my dad took across the country uh, when I was a teenager. 
When I think about our church, there are people whose faces immediately come to my mind, and it brings me this deep sense of abiding joy. Thank God for the joy associated with friendship. And there's no greater joys in life. Now, the fact of the matter is, none of us are as good of a friend as we think we are. And what I mean by that is in the area of friendship and relationships, uh, we all have room for improvement, and we need to approach friendship in a very deliberate way. And that's a major application from these verses as we listen to John, who's the apostle of love, who's really telling us what it's all about. And so in these verses, he's praising the hospitality of his friend Gaius, He's rebuking the self-promoting ways of Diotrephes, but he's also commending the worthy example of Demetrius. More than likely, Demetrius was the man who was carrying the letter to be delivered to Gaius. And so three men, mentioned specifically by name, and you could sort of outline 3 John along those lines. Now, we began last week by taking a look at what John has to say to Gaius, who is the recipient of the letter. And so, number one, notice with me how Gaius uh, is a portrait of selfless service. Based upon what I read concerning his life, I really see illustrated in his life what it means to just selflessly serve in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Guys, he's a godly man worthy of imitation. And we live in a time where godly men are rare. The psalmist said this in Psalm 12, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. The faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Uh, Forty years ago, Dr. James Dobson said this, The Western world stands at a great crossroads in its history. It's my opinion that our very survival as a people will depend upon the presence or absence of masculine leadership in millions of homes. And I believe with everything within me that men hold the keys to the preservation of the family. Now, he wrote that a generation ago. And and when we look around at the current landscape, we can't help but see that so much of today's crisis stems from an absence of godly men exercising godly leadership within the home, within the church, and within society itself. Now listen, I'm thankful for the men of God who are in this room even right now. Those of you who are just selflessly serving in the context of our church, those of you who are leading your families loving your wives as Christ loves the church and shepherding the hearts of your children. May your tribe increase. But I do believe that there's some very important lessons on this Father's Day that we can learn from what John has to say about his friend Gaius. Gaius is one of those characters in Scripture who may be obscure. In fact, you perhaps maybe have never heard of him before, but The more that I read what John has to say about him here in 3 John, the more I am encouraged about his life. We don't really know anything about him outside of what John writes here in 3 John. But what is evident is that he held a position of responsibility. He was a man who could be trusted. He was a leader in his local church. John knew him quite well, considered him to be a close personal friend. In fact, I believe that John uh, even led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And so John sees him as being a true son in the faith. 
And so based upon what the Apostle John has to say about Gaius, Gaius really presents us with this portrait of what selfless service in Jesus' name truly looks like. He's a godly man who teaches us some important lessons. And what are those lessons? Well, we've looked at two of these, but lesson number one, Gaius teaches me the importance of living spiritually. Uh, He was a man who took his spiritual life seriously. He didn't just live for the appetites of the flesh, but he's a spiritually-minded man. Notice how John addresses him as he begins the letter. He refers to him as beloved or dear friend. It's the word agapetos in Greek. It's an adjective that means um, uh, someone who's loved very much. The root word of that word is the, the word agape, which is descriptive of the love of God. Sort of the selfless, sacrificial, giving love of God. Four times John uses this word to describe his friend Gaius. And so it gives us really an insight into his character. Gaius was the type of man that that was, was dearly loved. Loved by the apostle John. Loved by the community of fellow believers. Someone who's secure in the love of God. He's the beloved Gaius. And how important it is in, in a world that's filled with lonely people for us to know something about what it means to be beloved. John prays for his friend in verse number two. Uh, he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So basically he's saying uh, to his friend, I'm praying for good fortune in everything that you determined to do. I'm praying for your physical well-being. I'm praying that your everyday affairs prosper as well as your soul. In fact, he's saying, I pray that you prosper physically just as you are prospering spiritually. What might your life look like if someone prayed for you that way and and God answered that prayer so that your physical man was a reflection of your inward spiritual man? Would you look like an emaciated individual? Or would you look like a strong and healthy man or a woman? Because the fact of the matter is, our spiritual well-being is of critical importance. And yet we live in a world that wants to put so much priority on on the physical man. Our looks, our our weight, all of this stuff that the world says is so very important, what meets the eye, appearances. But Gaius is the type of man who uh, had taken seriously Uh, his spiritual walk with God. He's prospering spiritually. And so John is praying, I'm asking God that you prosper physically just as you were prospering spiritually. If you find yourself in poor health or maybe the years are beginning to take their toll out on you so that you're not as strong as you once were and you find yourself being a little bit discouraged by that, listen, be encouraged by the fact that regardless of your physical condition, you can prosper spiritually. And would to God that each of us would be um, uh, so serious in this uh, manner that we take seriously our spiritual life and spiritual vitality. So John's praying for his friend, praying that he prospers. So Gaius teaches me something about the importance of living spiritually. A second lesson that I learned from his life is this, the integrity of walking truthfully. He's a real example in what it means to walk in the truth. That word truth is a word that John has used quite a bit in these two letters. 
But John is specifically saying that he rejoices when the brethren came and they testified, that is, they bore witness to the truth of how Gaius was prospering in the truth, how he was walking in the truth. And John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So the word of God was not something that was being taken for granted in his life, but, but Gaius was growing spiritually. He's walking in the truth. He had a reputation and character and testimony that was associated with the truth of the gospel so that when other people who knew him reflected upon his life, they would automatically associate him with faith in Jesus Christ. That means that when people thought of discipleship and when they thought of what it meant to be a Christian man, Gaius came to their mind. And so right away, we're just impressed with the fact that Gaius had a tremendous testimony that testified to both the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. And so pay attention to what John is doing here. John wants us to grasp this truth that the fight against falsehood, it's not simply fought in the arena of our words, but the fight against falsehood must be fought on the very battleground of our lives. Not just what we say with our words, but more importantly, how we live our life. That's what it means to walk in the truth. It's not that you just use the right language and say the right things, but that you walk the walk. In the power of the Holy Spirit, each of us are called to walk in the truth. And so whether you realize it or not as a Christian, you have a testimony. Other people are watching you. Every Christian has a testimony. The issue is, do I have a good testimony that's pointing people to the hope of the gospel, that's pointing people to Jesus, or do I have a poor testimony that's hindering people from coming to faith? My prayer is that when people look at my life and your life that they wouldn't see hypocrisy, that they wouldn't hear what we say, but what we say is overshadowed by what we do so that they would come to reject what even we say. Like Gaius, you're either helping the truth or you're hindering the truth with your testimony. So be serious in this, this way. And then the, res, the result of all of this, Gaius walking in the truth, it really brought great joy to John's heart to hear that his spiritual son in the faith is walking in the truth. And that's just such an important verse on this Father's Day. Verse 4, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. From a pastoral perspective, it does something in the heart of a pastor, a spiritual leader, or a shepherd. When members of his flock, it's walking in the truth that's being proclaimed from the pulpit. Those of you who've been instrumental in leading other people to faith in Jesus Christ, you know the kind of joy that John is describing there in verse number four. Listen, it will bring great joy and satisfaction to your heart to participate with God in seeking and saving the lost, sharing your faith. And every now and then... <laughs> God might let you in on what he's doing in someone's life and you have the privilege of leading that person to faith in Jesus Christ. If you've ever had that privilege, there's no joy like it. In fact, that's heaven's joy. That's described in Luke 15 where Jesus says, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents and comes to, you don't want to make you a happy person unlike anything else? Being a witness for Jesus Christ. You want to know what will bring joy to a congregation unlike anything else? 
participating with God and seeking and saving the lost. Listen, I want to get in on heaven's joy in my life. And yet I also see a parental application here in verse number four. Brings great joy to the heart of a Christian mom or dad to know that their children are walking in the truth. The privilege of leading our kids to faith and seeing our kids embrace the Christian faith as their own. It's not our faith that they possess, but it's their own faith. They come to faith in Jesus. No one emphasized this any more so than Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I read a challenge in a sermon that he preached from this text, a challenge that he gave to moms and dads in his congregation. Listen to this. He says, it's very grievous to see how some professedly Christian parents are satisfied so long as their children display cleverness in learning, sharpness in business, though they show not signs of a renewed nature. If they pass their exams with credit and promise to be well fitted for the world's battle, their parents forget that there is a superior calling involving a higher crown for which the child will need to be fitted by divine grace and armed with the whole armor of God. Many who ought to know better think themselves blessed in their children if they become rich, if they marry wealth, if they strike out into profitable enterprises in trade, or if they attain eminence in the profession which they have espoused. Their parents will go to their beds rejoicing and wake up perfectly satisfied though their boys are hastening down to hell, yet they're making money by the bushel. They have no greater joy than that their children are having their portion in this life and laying up treasure where rust corrupts it. Though neither their sons nor daughters show any signs of the new birth, give no evidence of being rich toward God, manifest no traces of redeeming grace or the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, yet there are parents who are content with their condition. And then listen to this. Spurgeon says, I can only say of such professing parents that they have need to question whether they themselves are Christians. And if they will not question it themselves, they must give some of us leave to hold it in serious debate. He says, when a man's heart is really right with God, and he himself has been saved from the wrath to come and is living in the light of his heavenly father's countenance, it is certain that he's anxious about the souls of his children, that he prizes their immortal natures and feels that nothing could give him greater joy than to hear that his children walk in the truth of God. Now let me just paraphrase what he said in his Victorian grammar there. Listen. There is nothing more pressing and urgent in the lives of your children than the state of their souls. That's more important than what college they get into. That's more important than what career path they choose. It's more important than how much money they make. It's more important even than the spouse that they marry. The most pressing, urgent thing right now is the spiritual well-being of our sons and daughters. And would to God that we take that seriously. And guys and gals, let me tell you something. As we're living in a time where it's becoming increasingly difficult by the day to be a committed follower of Jesus in such a cultural climate, you had better take seriously the spiritual growth and development of your children. And how do you begin doing that? Well, you first of all have to treasure Jesus Christ in your own heart and life. 
Dear children, know that Jesus is more important to you than anything else. Is Christianity something that is, it's the very lifeblood of your life. It's not just a religion to you, but it's, it's your relationship with God. That you're not just going through the religious motion in your life, but you have a genuine walk with God. You're walking in the truth because if we want to experience the joy of seeing our children walk in the truth, may it begin with we ourselves walking in the truth. And so Gaius, he teaches us the importance of living spiritually, the integrity of walking truthfully, and then notice third, He's an illustration of what it means to serve faithfully. I find in him an illustration of serving faithfully. Now look at verse number five. Pay close attention to the affirmation that the apostle John gives to Gaius there uh, when he says, it's a, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. So he's just simply calling attention to the fact that Gaius had opened up his life to these brethren who had come in Jesus' name. And he's bragging on Gaius. He's encouraging him. He's affirming him. John is someone who understood the importance of affirmation in relation to friendship. I mean, doesn't it do something for you when, when a friend comes alongside you and just gives you a pat on the back and encourages you in the faith? I can't tell you the number of times that just when I've needed encouragement in some specific way, God has seen to it that some dear friend in the faith has come along and given me a much needed word at a much needed time in my life. And sometimes that word comes in the form of just a gentle word of encouragement and sometimes that word comes in the form of a, of a gentle rebuke. But it was much needed a little encouragement goes a long way in life. There's no telling how many times we've been tempted in the throes of discouragement, maybe ready to throw in the towel over something when a friend comes along at just the right time and gives that much-needed word of affirmation. I don't know about you, but I want to be that type of friend in someone else's life. So what is it specifically that John is affirming in, in, in Gaius, his friend? Well, he's affirming his faithful service that was done in Jesus' name. He's saying, Gaius, your efforts in the gospel are not going unnoticed. It was a faithful thing that he did in all of his efforts for these brothers. And his character is revealed in the way that he just selflessly gives himself to the needs of other people. And it seems that he was showing hospitality and he was, he was hosting these traveling missionaries and evangelists who had been sent out from the Apostle John. Now in those days, the ministry of the local church was, was largely an itinerant ministry so that pastors and teachers and evangelists would travel around and they would visit the churches. They would stay in the homes of the believers. And so the modern concept of a hotel didn't exist. Most inns... Were, were places of debauchery in those days. And there was no Holiday Inn Express that these guys could check in out. You know, no, nobody was leaving the light on for these guys at the Motel 6 or wherever. But Gaius opens up his home. He shows hospitality. It was a delight to him to throw open his doors to these preachers and teachers of the gospel. And they were strangers 
The idea is he didn't know them. It's one thing to, to do this for someone you know. It's another thing entirely to do this for someone you don't know. But the point being made here was that Gaius is a hospitable man who shows hospitality. And the New Testament presents hospitality as a very important ministry in God's sight. Specifically, the Bible says that overseers and leaders in the church are to be hospitable. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 lists that qualification in those who lead the flock. Titus chapter 1, verse 8 Uh, Most of you know my testimony. My dad led me to faith in Christ. My dad was also my pastor, but I can remember growing up that there were times when there were traveling evangelists and revivalists who would come through. They would often stay in our home. I remember one time, I was really, it was really cool. We had a member of the Four Horsemen. You don't know who that is. He was a professional wrestler that I thought a lot of when I was a kid. But Tully Blanchard came to faith in Jesus, and he came and gave his testimony in our church one time. He stayed in our home. I'll never forget as a kid sitting right across from the table from Tully Blanchard himself. I thought that was cool. (laughs) But it was hospitality. I think sometimes we only associate hospitality with hosting dinner parties and having our friends over for dinner. But listen, it goes much deeper than that. It's, it's serving others selflessly. That's what it means to be hospitable. Think of hospital. Hospital, and that word hospitality, closely related. So hospitality is just serving where there's a need, doing it without any thought, doing it without any thought for yourself. It's not about me. It's not about having the spotlight put on me. It's an opportunity for me to just be able to serve selflessly and give generously all in the name of Jesus. It's unfortunate that we've come to see strangers as more of a threat in our time, more so than an opportunity. Maybe we've bought into the stranger danger mentality where we automatically ostracize anybody who may not be in our safe circle. Now let me be clear. Discernment is needed here because we live in a world where there are indeed thieves and there are kidnappers and there are murderers and we can't afford to be naive here. It's not wise for a young woman all by herself to offer a complete stranger a ride home, especially if she's a 16-year-old girl named Allie Ware But the fact is, we can't live our lives sort of sequestered, always afraid to serve, always afraid to reach out to the stranger in our midst. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Luke chapter 24, the two roads, uh, the two disciples walking the road to Emmaus. They're walking with Jesus unbeknownst to him, uh, unbeknownst to them. He's the resurrected Christ. Their eyes are not open to see it. The day's getting long. What do they do? They bid him tarry. Come stay in our home. Come have dinner. They're being hospitable. Little did they know that it was the Son of God himself that they were inviting to the table. And so we might miss opportunities that are divine appointments, divinely ordained opportunities to show hospitality in the name of Jesus to strangers. Sometimes it's an opportunity for the gospel. Uh, 
Some of you would be familiar with the name Rosaria Butterfield, but she's a Christian author with a powerful testimony. Before she was saved, by her own, these are her words, she was a leftist lesbian college professor who hated Christians. And yet, it was a simple invitation to dinner from a pastor and his wife that began a process of transformation in her own heart and life. And she writes about this in a, in a book that she has written called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. But it was their kindness and, and their genuine living out their Christian faith that made an eternal impact on her. And, and listen to what she says. The threshold to their life was like none other. It brought me to the foot of the cross. Nothing about that night unfolded according to my confidence script. Nothing happened the way I expected it to. Not that night or the years after or the hundreds of meals together. The long nights of singing and prayer as, and the university walked through the door of their home as if no door was there. Nothing prepared me for the unstoppable gospel and for the love of Jesus made manifest by the daily practices of hospitality undertaken in this one simple home. Let me emphasize that last line here. Nothing prepared me for the unstoppable gospel and the love of Jesus. Now listen to this. Made manifest by the daily practices of hospitality. Folks, listen. Are you and I living out the gospel in such a manner that just the little things, day in and day out, the attitudes that we have, the kindness that we show, the words that we speak, the testimony that we have, don't take that for granted. Gaius had a powerful testimony. Walking in the truth, not just talking it, but walking in the truth, showing hospitality, and so he teaches us the importance of living spiritually, the integrity of walking truthfully. He's an illustration of serving faithfully. And then one final thing that I'll mention about him is that he points us ultimately to the imperative of giving generously. You see, hospitality and generosity are inseparably linked. The person who's truly hospitable doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have a lot of resources at their disposal. They just use what they have, what they've been entrusted with. They just use them selflessly to bless other people. And so generosity then is, is so closely linked with hospitality. So John says of these missionaries in verse 7, they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. That is, they weren't trying to live off the very ones they were trying to reach with the gospel. They weren't asking for money. No, the burden of responsibility was on the shoulders of the church to support these missionaries so that they could selflessly serve and reach people for Christ. But the idea here is that we have obligation in the area of giving to support gospel efforts, and that's what Gaius did. And his giving is described in three ways. Uh, First, there's giving that serves the church. You go back up to verse 5, John commends him and says, it's a faithful thing you do in your efforts for these brothers. So he's, he's helping me to need in the life of a fellow believer. And then secondly, it was giving that supported God's work. 
John says to him, they testified to your love before the church. (laughs) And so you'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Which means that he gave the material means for their travel and their ministry, and he did so as if he were giving to the Lord himself. Which, by the way, remember Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus separates the sheep to the right, the goats to the left. He says to those to the right, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. And they asked the question, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or in prison and we visited you? And and he says this, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And so wouldn't that radically change the dynamic of your giving and showing hospitality even to strangers? if you recognize that you're doing it not ultimately for their sake because you are doing it for their sake and their benefit but, but more important than that I'm doing this in Jesus' name as an act of worship for the one who gave it all for me and so then the third area of Gaius' giving was that it was giving that seeks to win the lost John says of these servants, they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And we ought to support people like these so that we may be fellow workers in the truth. And that word fellow workers there translates a Greek word. It's the same word we get the word synergy from. You know what synergy is? It's the cooperation of two or more agents to produce a combined effect that's greater than the sum of their separate effects. In other words, we can do a lot more when we're linked up together than we could ever do acting independently of one another. That's why I was so encouraged this week at the SBC annual meeting in in New Orleans. And the highlight for me was Tuesday morning where we heard the testimony of 79 brand new IMB missionaries who are going out all over the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of those are going to hard to reach peoples where persecution is very much a reality. Last year's giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering was a, was a banner year, a record year in giving. Over $200 million given to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering through cooperating churches which then resulted in, listen to these numbers, more than 21,000 churches that were planted around the world through the efforts of these IMB missionaries and church planters. 730,000 people with whom the gospel was shared. 180,000 people who came to faith in Jesus, more than 102 of those thousand, uh, 102,000 of those people being baptized. And the good news is, We may not be able to be there on the front lines to go where these individuals are going or do what these individuals are doing, but you know something? We can have a part by being a fellow worker in the truth through giving generously and through serving faithfully. And then I think about our own local church and how important it is that we link arms together as brothers and sisters in the faith, fellow workers in the gospel for the sake of those in our own city and in our own neighborhoods who do not know Jesus. That's why it's important that we encourage one another and serve one another selflessly 
And that's the kind of guy that Gaius was. D.L. Moody would have described him as the kind of man who was the gospel translated into shoe leather. He's the real deal. What you see is what you get, and nothing brought more joy to John's heart than to see that he was walking in the truth of the gospel. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Listen, there is nothing like leading another person to Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it. But you see, it requires of you and me that we be faithful, both in terms of our words and our witness. At some point, we must use our words to verbally communicate the truth of the gospel with people around us. Don't be bashful or shy. If you've got a testimony, you rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel message itself, but let's use our words and and the walk of our life to lead other people to Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke 16, verse 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous mammon so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal habitations. You say, what in the world is he talking about there? He's saying, make the most of the opportunity that you have to use the resources that are at your disposal through hospitality, through generosity, through faithful service to lead people to Jesus. Because there's coming a time when all of those material things that we try to accumulate for ourselves, they're going to fail. They're not going with you to eternity. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Well, I have, but it was a Facebook meme, I think, but you get the point. So let's use what we have for the sake of God's mission in the world and pointing people to Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, then listen, can I just invite you to pray with me? Just a simple heartfelt prayer of repentance to God and say, Lord God, I confess my sin and my great need for you. But I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sin. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. Please forgive me and save me. My friend, if you've cried out to the Lord and asked him to save you this morning, we want to celebrate with you. As we sing here in just a moment, I want to ask you to come and find one of our pastors who are right here at the front. I'll be here. Pastor Blythe is over here to my left. We'd love to talk to you about baptism, the first act of obedience for a a new believer. First step of obedience, to publicly identify with Christ through believer's baptism. We've got several we're baptizing next week. And you can participate. We invite you to come. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, for this profile of godly character that we see in Gaius. But Lord, may it be said of our lives that we prioritize spiritual things, that we walk in the truth, practice hospitality, and give generously as people of faith. And ultimately, that God be glorified, Christ be magnified, and people be reached for Christ's sake. In his name we pray, amen.